ಚಕ್ಷುರುಮಿಲಿಮಹಾಶ್ರೀಚೈತನ್ಯಮನೋಭೀಷ್ಟಾಥಲೆ ಸ್ವಯಂಪಾಕದಾಮಯಂತೀಸ್ವಾಪತಂತಿಕಂದೇಹಂಕುರೀಗುರೋಪಾಕಮಲಂಕುರೂಪಾಗ್ರಜಾ
यशोदनंदन प्रज जन यशोदनंदन प्रज जन जमुना थीरापन छी जमुना थीरापन छी गोविंद जाय जाय गोपाल जाय जाय गोविंद जाय जाय गोपाल जाय जाय राधर मन हरि गोविंद जाय जाय राधर मन हरि गोविंद जाय जाय गोविंद जाय जाय गोपाल जाय जाय गोविंद जाय जाय गोपाल जाय 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 गोपाल जाय जाय गोविंद जाय जाय गोपाल जाय जाय राधर मन हरि गोविंद जाय जाय राधर मन हरि गोविंद जाय जाय गोविंद जाय जाय गोपाल जाय जाय गोविंद जाय जाय गोपाल जाय जाय राधर मन हरि गोविंद 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 जाय जाय
Govinda Jaya Jaya Gopala Jaya Jaya Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Rama Hari Rama 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 Hari 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 Krishna 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 Hari 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 Rama Hari Rama 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 Hari Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Rama Hari Rama 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 Hari Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Ram Hari Rama 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 Hari Hari
Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Rama Hari Rama 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 Hari Hari whole lecture about that baby last night. <laughs> so much to learn from children, especially tiny ones. I am very, very grateful, very honored, and extremely happy to be with all of you this evening. Over the last hour, there has been this kirtan, or chanting, of the divine names of God, which are within what in Sanskrit is called mantra. Man is the mind, and trayate, shortened to tra, means to deliver, to release, to liberate, to liberate the mind from misconceptions, miscalculations, to cleanse the mind, selfish desires, when they're not fulfilled, the mind responds with anger, sometimes envy, depression, arrogance, when they are fulfilled, greed, because however much we get, we're just not satisfied. And if we appear to be satisfied, do kalayamashashvatam. It only lasts for some time. And the more we're satisfied when it ends, the more we're longing to have it back. And when we have it, we're longing for something more. That's just the way the world is. It's based on this idea of illusion. 
in our bhakti tradition, we do not consider the world in illusion. Because if it's God's creation, how could it be an illusion? Whatever God creates is sacred. It's just like darkness does not come out of the sun. Only light comes out of the sun. But when we turn away from the light of the sun, we see a shadow. So the illusion is our misconception of what is this world? Who am I? What is my relationship with the creation, with all people of the world? What is my relationship with myself? Yoga, religion, spirituality very much begins with re-establishing a relationship with ourself, our true self, not the ego self. Just walking here a few minutes ago, you may have seen it. It was on, I think, 6th Avenue. Usually there's signs that invite you into a place. Well, there's one place where there's a human skeleton. Have you seen that? <laughs> I don't think it's a real one. But it's like some sort of model of a human skeleton. And I was quite interested. I'm sure it attracts a lot of people to come in there. <laughs> but I was discussing with my friends, what's the difference between that skeleton and us on the physical level? It's just a couple years. in the journey home about when I was traveling 1970 summer and I was searching for answers to the questions of life. Why is there so much hate in the name of a loving God and why is there so much greed when there's so much wealth and why there's so much arrogance and greed and people just don't seem happy. People, on the basis of the color of skin, people hate each other. But actually, if you just go like about a quarter of an inch under the skin, we're all skeletons. <laughs> it's all the same color. Nationalities really doesn't make any difference once you just, you know, just peel off just a very, very thin layer. So it's like a common denominator. But anyways, I was in this place in Rome. They were catacombs where these monks, they had, they had all of the monks of their heritage from the past. 
They don't bury them. They don't burn them. They display them after they die. <laughs> and, you know, that monastery's been there for a long time. <laughs> so you have to figure out what to do with all these bones. And they've, they've really used their creative imagination. <laughs> Have any of you been there? Please raise your hands. Yeah. So they will confirm. They have chandeliers made out of human skeletons. And they have couches. And they have all these decorative designs on the walls. And there are different displays. One is a whole mountain of hip bones. And there's a whole mountain of skulls. Then there's a mountain means the whole wall is lined with them. And there's a whole mountain and wall of, of like arm bones. So we're just walking through and we saw a monk and we asked why do you do like this? <laughs> and he said it, it helps us to remember the impermanence of life. So I definitely agreed with that. <laughs> And, it hel and when we understand the impermanence of life, it helps us to meditate on what's permanent in life. <clears throat> and then at the very end of all these different displays of different skeletons, there is full skeletons dressed in monk robes. And they're all po pointing to a sign. So we were quite eager to see what they were pointing to. The sign read, As you are now, we used to be. As we are now, you will be. Very poetic. <laughs> So we put so much emphasis on our differences, on the basis of the body, and the basis of our thinking process. And the thinking process is changing so much. It's like that little baby, she was crying to get the attention of her mother, and I think she was hungry for the mother's milk, perhaps. And the mother ran out and gave milk. So nice. We were speaking yesterday how natural that instinct is. The instinct of faith. Faith is so natural. A little puppy dog, a little puppy cat, or whatever you call them. <laughs> <laughs> or a little puppy human. <laughs> Little babies, 
they have natural faith in their mothers. They know if they cry, the mother's attention is going to come and they're going to be there for them. They have natural faith, my mother will feed me, my mother will protect me. Little babies, when they're first born, they don't have doubts. They don't, they don't need somebody to, to prove philosophically that your mother loves you. <laughs> There's an inherent instinctive faith in love. And that's there for everyone. So faith is not an unnatural thing. It's actually the most natural thing. But over the years, because so many times that faith is betrayed, it's abused, we lose our trust. Then we don't need you know, all types of philosophies to try to prove it to our intellect that we should have faith. When my beloved teacher, Srila Prabhupada, came to the West, here in New York City, Lower East Side, on the other side of the block, <laughs> somebody challenged, Swamiji, why have you come here? All the way from India, cargo ship, across oceans, across continents, you had nothing. Why did you come here to our country? And Prabhupada's answer was so simple, so innocent, but so complete. He said, I have not come to convert you from one religion to another. I've come to enlighten you. And then he smiled and he said, I've come to remind you what you have forgotten. Nitya Siddha Krishna Prema Sajjaka Bunoi Sravanadi Sudhichiti Kodiyayudhoi. That love for God is the inherent nature of every spirit, of every soul. It's who we are. To feel the love of God, the love of the Supreme, which is infinite and forever, fills us with the highest ananda or joy. And, what, and when we experience even little drops from that shoreless ocean of joy, We want to share it with others. Not to prove ourselves, but because we care. There's so many reminders <laughs> of why we should care.
special effects we could not have we could not have orchestrated better we planned it but the siren it may disturb us because it's so loud but can you imagine how disturbed the person is who it's going to you know there might be a house on fire people are burning people's houses that they've given everything their investment of their life is burning or somebody's having a heart attack or somebody car crash you know these sirens something like that's happening so they actually can awaken remind us and the more we actually taste the sweetness of divine love that's within us, the more we feel for others. Not as a ritual, not to prove anything, but because we care. The love of a mother, she's not trying to prove anything to her baby. She's not trying to prove I'm a better mother than anyone else in the world. Right? You know, religious people, my religion is better than yours. And we have so many ways to try to prove it. A mother, she just loves her child. She just wants to make her child happy. She wants to relieve her child of suffering. And ultimately, there's only one thing that the child is longing for. It's not the milk. It's not the embrace. Those are all expressions of love. Love nourishes the heart. Nothing else. That's our nature. Our nature is to love and be loved. And when we forget that, we're trying to find an alternative that will fill the void in our heart. Try to find it in money, in entertainment, in beauty, and all of these things we already explained, they're all sacred creation. Money is wonderful. Beauty is wonderful. But no money is wonderful too, and no beauty is wonderful too. If we understand that in whatever situation, Nothing and no one can take God's love away from us. To remember that. I'm not this body. I'm not the designations of this body. I'm a sacred, divine, eternally beautiful part of the Supreme. That's who we are. In our nature, sarva loke, sarva bhuta, to see every living being in relation to our love for God. There was a very beloved um, 
saintly person who lived almost 600 years ago. His name was Takur Hadidas. And there are many biographies of his life. He was born and spent his early life in what is now Bangladesh. It used to be called East Bengal. And because of his family background, because it was very much a minority, he was constantly being discriminated against. Just because of the background. And although he wanted to help everyone and he wanted nothing for himself, the, the more he did some, the more he did good things, two things happened. One is people appreciated and their lives were transformed. But then there were another set of people who hated him for that because he had no right. He had no right to be speaking. He had no right to give anyone a connection to God or to spirit. So, there's so many places he would go and people would love him and people would be spiritually, emotionally, in every level, level transformed with happiness and there were those who tried to kill him tried to dishonor him with so much terrible names and terrible rumors he would just forgive them and move on to the next place so he was in one place called Chandpur have any of you been to Chandpur? I've been there. <laughs> it's a very special place. There's two rivers that meet there. It's in, and when he was there, he had just left a place where somebody tried to destroy him. And he came, and there was two brothers, Govardhan Hiranya Majumadara. And they were very wealthy. You can say they were like billionaires of today. They were government treasurers. They were landowners of huge tracts of land. And so much wealth, so much prestige. But they were very religious people. And their spiritual teacher's name was Balaram Acharya. And when Haridas, he just left the place because another landowner was so envious of him, he was doing everything he could to destroy him on every level. And then he comes here 
and everybody's celebrating his arrival and welcoming him and giving him a nice little home to stay in and inviting him to speak among the great scholars and the great um, spiritually enlightened people of that area. So when he, when he came to that, to a particular assembly, everyone was speaking about his love for God, his compassion for all beings. How he was so focused. He would chant a minimum of 300,000 names of Krishna every day, no matter what. And it wasn't hard for him. For us, most of us at least, to chant a fraction of that, <laughs> it would really be a struggle. But for him, it was just an outburst of joy. One time, somebody asked a scholar from a university in Canada, asked Srila Prabhupada, what do you hope to get from all this chanting of Hare Krishna? And he said, the result of chanting Hare Krishna is to chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> what does that mean? That this chanting, it cleanses the heart. The heart is, cons or the mind, the mind is considered a mirror. And when the mirror of the mind is clean, when the conscious force, the spirit, the, the atma within us, when it's seeing the world through the mind, the mind reflects the eternal beauty of the soul, the eternal beauty of the supreme soul. God, who we're all part of. And when we recognize that, we can actually appreciate the beauty of the Spirit wherever there's life. But when the mind is covered by so much dust and so much dirt, that's what we see. So at the beginning stages, it's it's cleaning us, it's purifying us, it's enlightening us. And when we're actually really purified, then we're Golokera Premadana Harinam Sankirtana. Then it's just the natural, like a volcanic eruption of joy to call out this beautiful mantra, the beautiful names of our Lord. In other words, now we're chanting to cleanse, but when we're clean, we'll chant with love. And in the Tripakti tradition, love is not just something you attain. Love is something you awakened. But when it's awakened, it's ever-increasing. How is something that is unlimited, 
be increasing. That's the dynamics of spirituality. It's never stagnant. It's not you just attain something. You attain that level of love, and then it's ever increasing forever. If that seems impossible, that's why it's so nice. <laughs> Who wants to give your life for something that's possible? <laughs> but if we examine the whole of creation, it's all impossible. Science can explain to, to some extent how it's working, which is wonderful. But ultimately, it's all inconceivable. Every little atomic particle is inconceivable. From the atom to the universe. Everything's so inconceivable. But what, but what is most inconceivable is the power of love the potency of compassion that's within the soul of every living being. So Haridas was chanting, and the more he was chanting, the more his love and compassion for everyone was growing, and as they say, you know, hate the sin but not the sinner. Or for a doctor, hate the disease, but not the diseased. That's an awakened heart. So everyone was praising him. And they said, please tell us, what can one achieve by chanting God's names? Please tell us this name of Hadi. And one great, great scholar, who was very, very learned and very famous, and very philosophically oriented. He said, from my studies of so many scriptures and so many logical meditations, I have discovered that by the chanting of these divine names, these mantras, one can be freed from the reactions of all one's previous impious acts. That was his glorification. And another person said, I have discovered through my studies and my meditations that by chanting God's names, one can achieve liberation, salvation from suffering and even death. Another person, I have by chanting God's names, one can achieve miraculous powers. And Haridas smiled. He said, all these things you're talking about, that's not the real purpose. That's not a perfection. That's not the goal. Yes, you can achieve all these things through your spiritual practice. But there is only one true goal, which includes everything else. 
And that is by chanting these names of God, by living a spiritual life, a true spiritual life. It awakens from our heart love for God, love for Krishna. This is a universal principle. In the Bible, the first and great commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And what happens when you love God? What's the testimony of love of God? Not that you can have a lot of followers. Not that you could try to prove we're better than somebody else. The testimony of love of God is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And everyone's our neighbor. The deeper our love, the more inclusive our love becomes. Srimad Bhagavatam tells when you put water on the root of a tree, that water extends to every part of the tree. The leaves, the branches, the twigs, the flowers. And similarly, when we actually connect to that root of love that's within us, it naturally extends to everyone in the form of compassion. But it simultaneously begins with getting a realization of how beautiful and how blessed is our true self. But part of realizing that is in how we relate with others. The more we disrespect, the more we mistreat, the more we are envious or selfish of others, the more we disconnect from our own true spiritual essence. And the more we serve others, the more we feel concern, compassion for others, the more it awakens our own appreciation for who we are and what we have. And the world is our neighbor too. When we understand the sacredness of life, then how can we pollute waters or pollute air or exploit the land? Because everyone's depending on it. Adidas Thakur, he was, he was an environmentalist, he was an ecologist, he was a philanthropist, he was a social activist, he was everything, he was all included. Why? Because he loved Krishna. <laughs> because he was watering the root of the tree and everything else was natural. If, if we're trying to do these things without trying to water the root of the tree, then it's very incomplete and 
unsustainable. Savaipung Sangaparo Dharamo Yato Bhakti Radhokshitaya Hoitaki Aprathihataya Yatma Supraseded. The Srimad Bhagavatam it explains this this first and great commandment we could call in such a beautiful um, verse that the supreme dharma, the supreme spiritual path, the supreme religion, the supreme occupation for all humanity is the awakening of this love. And then it explains what is the nature of this love. The nature is the desire to serve and to please. Atapum vijastrestas varna shrama vibhagashashvarushchatasya dharmasya samsadhiradi toshana. The perfection of our occupation, the perfection of our social status, the perfection of, of our religion, the perfection of everything we do, is that Hadi, or the Supreme, or Krishna, God, is pleased. <laughs> Seva is to serve without egoistic, selfish motivations. To serve in such a way that Simultaneously, we are making progress and we're helping others to make progress. Material conception is we love someone because they're beautiful. Or we love somebody because they're wealthy. We love someone because they're skilled. There are so many reasons people love another in this world. But true love, spiritual love, is we love because at the essence of a person's being, their living force, is, is a divine, sacred, brother, sister part of our beloved. We love others because we just have so much love. may seem very far away from us because we get frustrated by so many things of this world. But if we see things in the perspective of what is spiritual reality and what we're truly aspiring for in life, all the things that we're disagreeing about is insignificant and superficial and most of it just isn't worth our time. 
because after a little while, we're all going to be skeletons. <laughs> it's not long either. You know, some of us it's a few years, some of us it's a few more years. But <laughs> That's the body. And all the arrangements we make. So while we're trying to preserve this body, it's fine to make the body as nice as possible, as healthy as possible, as beautiful as possible. But it shouldn't be with arrogance or ego. It should be in a spirit that this body is to serve, to enlighten. This mind, the concept of surrender, it seems like a harsh word to some. Sometimes we read in history books that surrender means you fight a battle and ultimately you lose and you're, it's, it's hopeless. And you take a white flag and go like this. <laughs> surrender. But in the spiritual science, surrender is the most beautiful, satisfying, and sweet experience. Because surrender means love. Just like when our little Gorchandra was crying a few minutes ago, Tulsi surrendered. She was, at least I hope she was enjoying the class. <laughs> I hope she didn't think it was a good excuse to get out. <laughs> but she's sitting and enjoying the class with everyone else, and then ah! she has to surrender to her little baby and run outside, and, and I don't know where she is now. Maybe some sitting on some stair a couple floors up. <laughs> so love is surrender. And surrender is love. Thakur Bhakti Vinod, he offered this beautiful prayer. Manaso deho geho jo kichumor arpilung tu aupade nanda kishor. Surrender means to be grateful that everything we have is a gift that's given to us. My body, my mind, my home, my family, my abilities, my intelligence, my influence, it's, it's all been entrusted to me. You see, on every level, we're not proprietors, we're caretakers. We've been given all these things for some time. So reciprocation is whatever it is, whether it's big or small, whether it's in large quantity or, or tiny quality, I mean quantity. Love is about quality, not quantity.
if we're living in a little straw hut or if we're living in a magnificent mansion or castle or palace, it really doesn't make that much difference. When we recognize this is a divine, sacred property. It's all built from materials of the earth. I didn't create the earth. I didn't create the brain that put it all together so nicely. I didn't create the hands that helped out. It's all sacred property entrusted in my care. And when we are grateful, then we naturally understand that our joy in life is to serve. Everything is there to serve. Spiritual enlightenment is when the greatest joy of our heart is not in taking, but in giving. And the more we have, the more we can give. So we could, be, um, we could be enthusiastic, we could be determined, we could be ambitious, but not with selfishness and greed. We do things with dignity, with integrity, with, with character, so that we can reciprocate. Surrender. To surrender one's home doesn't mean to give it away. It means to engage it for a higher purpose. I often tell story of one very, very wealthy man in India. He was CEO of major international corporations, a big, beautiful home. <clears throat> and, he has, and he, as well as his good wife, who was just like him, I mean, he was just like her. They were, they were just such enlightened people. They came, they came to me one day and said, why should we have more than others? Because they're already unbelievable. Almost everything they get, they share it. With individuals and with society. So they decided we can just live in a really tiny little small apartment. And I was thinking about it and I suggested to them if you stay in your house, but you have the same temperament that you have right now, of such a generous, compassionate spirit, that when people see that, they're going to deeply be affected. If you're just living in an apartment, God gave you that, this, so use it for something wonderful. You don't have to change. You could if you want. It really doesn't matter. But you could probably serve better from here. And it worked so good. 
I remember when my mother and father first came to India. Well, let me go back some years. When I first came back from India, they thought I was completely a lost cause. They were bewildered. You know, they were I they were brought up in the Great Depression. They went through so much poverty and discrimination themselves. And for them, you know, they were hungry. They were constantly getting evicted from one place to another when they were little children, their parents going. So, you know, they really wanted to give stability to us. So they were working really, really hard, and money was very valuable to them. They were nice people. But in the 1960s, we were so idealistic. <laughs> we just thought this is all materialistic. <laughs> and, you know, there was the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War and all these things were going on. So we were really looking for a higher um, purpose in life. So I come back as a Swami. They didn't even know what a Swami was. They saw what I—they uh, saw me dressed. I was something like this, and they—they they were completely bewildered. And then I slept outside on their patio. And I ate on the floor. I was pretty fanatical, actually. (laughs) Recruits are sometimes really fanatical. (laughs) Sometimes it takes some decades to kind of get realistic. (laughs) Realistic means trying to see from the other person's perspective. We're We're just so much seeing from my perspective what I have learned or what is the truth or what the scriptures say and what about this person what, is, what have they gone through in their life and, 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 unless we try to understand them how do we expect them to understand us unless we appreciate the good in them how do we expect them to appreciate so that's kind of what was going on anyways they were especially like the first day I was home at four in the morning they heard from the patio bells ringing (laughs) (laughs) and the patio was just was just a a little balcony kind of thing on the fifth floor of a giant apartment building and the neighbors were turning on their lights So my father, he was, he was already shocked before he went to sleep. And, and he came, and the neighbors were all like coming out of their, on their balconies trying to figure out what's going on. And I have a little, little piece of cotton that's on fire, and I'm going... <laughs> 
a true story. And, and my father, he said, son, what are you doing? It's four o'clock in the morning. And he was behind me. And I didn't even turn around. I, I just was, I was singing. He said, son, what are you doing? And I stopped singing for just a second. And I said, Artie. <laughs> and I continued ringing the bell and offering the Artie. And he gave up. There was no use in pursuing any in questions. He just went back inside. He probably cried. <laughs> of my mother but you know after as it was I was starting to understand that really they just have no clue of what or why you know this, they're saying their son he's like He's like an alien from another planet. <laughs> but gradually, when I started appreciating them and communicating better, then they would be, everything was nice. But they still couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and then they came to India. And when they came to India, they stayed at the home of these wonderful people that I was telling you about. And when they saw this home, they were thinking, they, they said to me, you know, why don't you live in a place like this? <laughs> you know, they're, they're just as religious as you. <laughs> Them. So I remember my parents are in this house. You know, they worked really hard and they became a little successful, but this, these people were so much beyond. So they respect. And interesting, the month that they were visiting the house, do you want to hear this story? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I really want to tell the story. <laughs> that month, in the Business Week magazine of India, you know, India is the largest democracy in the world, and on the front cover was a photo of this devotee who lives in the house. And it said, the conscience of India's industry. And that year he won the Lions Club International <coughs> Philanthropist of the Year. 
the year before Mother Teresa won it. So, you know, my parents were what these people are. And they went to their, uh, the next day they just, can we see one of where, you, where your office is? And they were like buildings. And they went to this one textile mill which had all these machines and all these workers. And my father went to this devotee and, and they were taking such good care of him. My father, to this day, my mother, they, they asked, what would you like for breakfast? And she said, toast. <laughs> so in about five minutes, they brought her a stack of toast that was about a foot and a half high. <laughs> and it was really good toast. <laughs> And I was like, God, these people are so generous. They just want to serve. And they're just so humble and so respectful and so concerned with every detail of serving others. And that's the way they are with everyone. From the poorest person in the street they meet to other wealthy people to my parents. So my mother and father were crying. These people are your devotees. Now we, we could relate to them. We can't relate to you. <laughs> we, can't, we can't relate to those devotees who, who come in the airport and try to sell us books. We can't relate to those singing, but we relate to these people. And one day my father was sitting with this person's father because they're about the same, they're actually exactly the same age. And this man says to my father, you and me, we're very small people, but your son, he's a great person. My father was totally bewildered. <laughs> he said, you're a multimillionaire. You have a, like a PhD. My son, he dropped out of, you know, after one semester of junior college. <laughs> he disappeared and never came back. You know, he, he, you have so much wealth and so much influence that he, he hasn't had a bank account since 1969. <laughs> what are you talking about? And this man said, because, because he's helping others to love God. That's a great thing. When, when my mother and father heard it from him in that house, they were totally transformed. When they got back home to America, my mother, my brother had a baby. And my mother and father said, you should have your brother baptize him. <laughs> I had to kind of make something up. 
so that they could understand what was going on. <laughs> and then my mother, I, 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 it was this little temple. My mother, they wanted it at the Hare Krishna temple. And all the relatives of the, my brother's wife and, and my brother, they're all there. And I said, in our tradition, we want, we, this ceremony is really to invoke blessings, God's blessings upon this child. And in our tradition, we invoke God's blessings by calling out from the core of our hearts God's names with our arms raised. And my mother, she said to all her other relatives, I was just in India. I can show you how to do it. <laughs> and, you know, she's a pretty old lady, actually. You know? <laughs> And she was teaching them. She was teaching them kirtan. <laughs> and because she did it, everyone did it. It's quite. I was. I think I was more culture shocked than everyone else. <laughs> and my mother and father said, "Give the child." a spiritual name, <laughs> a Krishna name. Her name was Sarah. So I said her name will be Saraswati. <laughs> so that was nice. And I remember I had a little um, we have one of those here, one of those little spray containers, and we had water from the Ganges in it. And because baptism is usually some sort of water, either sprinkling or submerging or something, so I took Ganges water and sprinkled it on the little baby. And they all thought, this is, this is it. <laughs> And then I confused them. <laughs> and I looked at all the relatives, and I said, you need it more than her and I. <laughs> and I threw, threw the water on all of them. <laughs> they just accepted it. Very nice. So to love to show compassion. We need to communicate. We need to communicate in such a way that we're relevant to a person's place in this world. I remember hearing a story of Srila Prabhupada here. Um, there was one lady who was just kind of coming, and I think it was, it was actually in Paris. She was 
coming to the temple, and she was like a fashion model. And she put, she spent a lot of money making her hair look nice. And devotees used to tell her that she was in illusion. She was in Maya. Why are you wasting your money on your hair? Don't you know? That? <laughs> they probably told her all that skeleton philosophy and everything. <laughs> You know, she, that's what she grew up valuing, is nice hair. <laughs> so she was spending a lot of money, and, but she liked the teaching, she loved the prasad, the food, and she liked the kirtan, but, you know, she was really getting disturbed about people, like, looking at her hair in such a condescending way. So then Prabhupada came. And she came in the room, and Prabhupada looked at her and smiled and said, Your hair is beautiful. <laughs> and her heart melted. And he didn't say it as some sort of a strategy. <laughs> he, he said it because he cared about her, because he loved her. He was actually not... She understood. He's a swami. You know, she, he wasn't really attracted by this very elegant French hairdo, or whatever you call him. <laughs> he just was showing respect to her in a way that she could really feel a connection. And her heart melted. She was transformed by those words. Because it was genuine. What it means to serve is the most wonderful, deepest subject in all of creation. To serve with love, without arrogance, without material selfish motivations that separates us, divides us, and without interruption, whatever the circumstance, whatever happens in our life, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little whether there's success or failure, victory or defeat, honor or dishonor, pleasure or pain, whatever the circumstance, to live in the light of the love that's within us through service. Through compassion. The Bhakti Center is a little place here in the Lower East Side of New York where we come together just to share these ideas, to try to inspire one another, enlighten one another, include one another in such a way that individually and collectively
we were uplifted. And when we put God in the center, the Supreme Beloved in the center, Krishna in the center, then we become an instrument of that love. Thank you very much. Prabhu recommended I speak a particular story and I actually read that story before coming and I had every, in- I even studied it. <laughs> and my intention, I even have notes on it. <laughs> and I came here to tell that story but I forgot to tell the story. <laughs> so, Maybe next time, I'm sorry. I like this one. Really? He's so relatable. Thank you. Shall we have kirtan? Thank you. Just a thank qu- you very, very much. Just a quick announcement. First, let's again thank Maharaj for speaking.